Thanks for joining us this afternoon. This is another episode in Electra International's series, Think Like a Leader. And as you know, we've been talking with contractors and manufacturers and chapter managers because we think that every part of the NECA and Electri family really do have something to bring to the table. And today we're with Tim Gautier. He is from Oregon and he has been with the Columbia chapter for 40 years. So that's quite an accomplishment. He's seen lots of people come and go. He's still there and he's got 70 strong members. So thanks Tim very much for taking time to be with us today. We really do appreciate it. L let me start by asking you about Oregon in a kind of a general question. Everybody understands that Oregon experienced great economic growth and also your demographics have changed in the same way that others have in other states and other parts of Oregon even. So have the changes that you've seen caused you to change the way you look at and strategize being a leader for your chapter? Well, I think tremendously. Uh, we've had, as you mentioned, uh, very strong growth. As a matter of fact, 10 years ago, we were doing about 3.5 million man hours a year. We will be reaching nearly 9 million this year and we have been steadily growing over that last 10 years. So yeah, I think it takes a little bit of a stronger leader in these types of a scenario because we're pushing for manpower, pushing for more apprentices and you have to take a, a strong position about growing the industry. And always what I'd like to do is do research and factual information. So when I meet with the IBW in particular or our apprenticeship committee, I use the facts that are available to me on showing growth and potential opportunities. And so that way we do push and I like to lead the scenario. So I, I, I believe that you have to be stronger in a growing economy. Well, when you think about all of the different tasks that you have to do to accomplish things for your chapter, how do you prioritize what actions you have to take and in what order to make sure that you're meeting your contractor's needs? How do you, how do you approach that? Well, I actually work off of a daily list and I add things and I check them off. But the number one um, item on my list is membership and members. Matter of fact, a minute before we started, I got a phone call from one of our contractors and I thought, do I answer the call now, or do I wait until after the interview? And I answered the call figuring we can delay the interview. So I took care of my uh, members' business as soon as I possibly could. When we talk about leadership, there are a lot of buzzwords that go around and innovative and innovation is one of them. It gets used a lot, but it's clear that a good leader is somebody who's always thinking ahead. How do you approach using new technologies in your work, knowing that they have to meet your members' best interests and they can't just be a fad, they have to be meaningful? Well, 15 years ago, I hired our first IT person because I knew the communication efforts that we needed to have as a successful chapter had to also align itself with electronic communication and instant information. So now we, uh, all of our communication is electronic with our membership. We have a very robust website on the private side that has every piece of information available that our contractors need. And we continue to do our ebook 
which is basically all the wage and fringe benefit changes are available electronically on our website, all the labor agreements. And we just now have published a uh, new map with our zone pay and travel information where it's even searchable by an address to make sure that the contractors know exactly what their costs are in what part of our jurisdiction, because we have a very large geographical jurisdiction uh, in the Oregon Columbia chapter. So technology and leading the way electronically is very, very key. Some of your 70 members are obviously doing very, very well, but I'm sure that in all honesty, there are some that are struggling. What do you see as your role as the chapter executive? How far can you take it to help a struggling contractor make changes that can really have an impact on their businesses? I think the number one priority is a chapter beyond labor relations is education. And uh, for the last several years, we have pushed education to the extreme with our members. Now, that's a general observation as far as how we, how we can better train our contractors, and especially in a, in a struggling situation. But I also take the opportunity to actually meet with our contractors when I can see that there's an issue coming up and try to lend to them the opportunity. We have a, a great group of veteran members in our chapter who have been leaders throughout the industry with NECA. And I, we all, uh, will set up a mentorship with those contractors who are struggling to get ready. And that's because our veteran members volunteer to assist struggling contractors and help them uh, move beyond where they're at right now. Do those who act as mentors Obviously, even the younger contractors are in the same geographic area. So to some extent, they're competitors. Does that enter into the picture or are your senior members really willing to share and help others to learn? I think they're, they're willing to share because now they're out of the position of being, you know, an entrepreneur with a business. Now they just want to give back and help the industry. You know, it's what really interesting about we try to have a social chapter in the sense that I want our members to be good competitors. I know when I first came here, and like I said, 40 years ago, there were contractors who really didn't care for each other and would, would not mind in taking opportunity to stab somebody in the back. We have moved beyond that in order to make it. I mean, it's interesting because when I talk to our contractors, they talk about who their friends are. And the majority of their friends are other contractors that they've traveled with and gone to meetings with and had a drink with and shared a meal. So I, I really think our mentorship with our veterans are there to really assist the contractor. How would you define the difference between a great contractor and a good contractor? Well, I think it starts with people. And you can tell um, by my interactions with the IBW and what I hear about uh, from the union and the apprenticeship program, the contractors who take care of their people tend to be able to get more people uh, dispatched to them readily, especially in a situation now where we need manpower greatly. So it's two things. It's how they take care of their own people, both in the office and especially in the field. And are they community involved? Do they get involved and volunteer within our community? Those are the ones that are great uh, members in our association. When you are looking to identify leaders for the chapter, not necessarily leaders of their own companies, but leaders for the chapter, 
are there certain traits that you're looking for? And you say, you know, I really want to get this person involved in committees because I think they'll move up and they, they will eventually be the right person to serve as president or governor for the chapter. Yeah, I look for energy. I, I, oh, I can okay. see it within our members, those who are energized to be involved, who show up to our membership meetings, who show up and volunteer to be on a committee. Even, you know, everybody wants to be on the apprenticeship committee or the negotiations committee. But how about those who want to be on our code committee? How about our legislative committee? Those committees that aren't maybe you know, fancy to them, but they still want to participate. So I look for the volunteerism. We look for the, uh, again, a great contractor who's got a great organization and has built it to the point that he can, he or she, because we have several uh, female contractors too, can take the time away from their business and their business doesn't suffer. I have, I have always been of the opinion and tried to follow the belief that a good leader is someone who really can communicate well, both short-term quick messages and longer-term goals and aspirations, things like that. But now we're Zoomed out, everything, every minute. I'm talking to you on Zoom rather than in person because that's the circumstance in which we're living and we can't change that right now. We know it'll change eventually. So here's my question. As we become more Zoomed, do you believe that we are understanding one another better than we might have in the past and, and we're paying more attention to what we hear and learn or are we so overloaded that it's just going away? I, I kind of look at it in two scenarios. One, it's a great opportunity to communicate with our members and to have meetings where like our trust fund meetings, our membership meetings, we've been doing video casts where I'll have certain individuals do reports and then we'll put them together and send them out as a membership meeting. I do believe it doesn't work for labor relations. I mean, it, labor relations to me is a touchy feely type, type of business. We have had one series of negotiations on resident, our residential agreement that we met in person. We have had two labor management meetings that were grievance hearings. And in every case we say, we need to do this. So we see each other and we talk to each other and communicate together in the same room. I'm afraid today with whether I don't tweet, but tweets and text messages and emails um, are masking people and give them a feeling of sometimes more robust and dangerous statements that can be made. And I have said over the years, I will not get in email debate. Let's talk face to face. Let's get it done. I, uh, I have seen emails come and text messages and I, may, and I don't respond right away because I, people are emboldened by the ability to text and email. We were told um, by one of your colleagues that one of the best things, uh, it was Deborah Margraf, actually, she was talking about things she learned from other chapter executives. And she mentioned the series that you run called, I believe it's Lunch and Learn. Yes. Are you still doing those? And can you tell our audience a little bit about how that works and why you do it? Okay, so it's not happening right now, but Lunch and Learns were to reach into management levels and supervisory levels 
Uh, in order to give them topical information, it tends to go more on the human uh, resources side. It tends to go more on maybe even dealing with inspections with the various scenarios that we have around the metropolitan area. And the whole idea was bring people together with a single topic and uh, have a, a bag, lunch, a, a box lunch and a speaker and get it done in an hour and back out to work. And we were getting oh, 35, 40 people for, and we were running these once a month uh, as topical information came up. We have, I've been kind of um, pushed uh, for trying to do something next year in 21 that would simulate that same thing, but people would be at their offices and take care of the same educational opportunities. When you think about Oregon and you think about your workforce and you mentioned obviously everybody's in the same boat of needing to find a really good workforce going forward. Do you think that your part of the state has maxed out in terms of its growth and is going to be more of a, I don't want to say flat line, that has the wrong implication, but a stable line rather than continuing to compound year after year? Or are you going to be really in desperate need for talent because you're continuing to grow so exponentially? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, we are high tech industry driven, whether that makes uh, you know, with the Intel and other manufacturers, then the data center. So electricity is relatively cheap in Oregon because of the hydro dams that we have that supply the majority of our power. And we have plenty of water. So those are two items that are very important to the, um, the technology-driven industry that we have. But we also are building out tremendously within the city and into the suburbs, especially right now, with a lot of uh, high-rise buildings almost being empty and people are moving out into the suburbs, we will continue to grow to the point. Right now we have nearly 1,100 apprentices in our program and we're still continuing to take uh, online applications and we still are going through classrooms. The state of Oregon um, did not stop uh, private education. And so we put a whole plan together. We have uh, 500 apprentices in class uh, every week. You know, only half of our apprentices are in class at any given time and the others are working. So it's really important that we maintain that growth stimulus. We have the baby boomers retiring and we have the new generation of electricians coming into the program and we'll continue to push that. We could use literally we have almost 5,000 people working right now. We could use another 500 easily. So you are not concerned right now about the number of apprentices that you have. What about other college students who might be going into other kinds of disciplines, whether it's estimating project management, communications, all of the other things that go along with electrical construction, because it's not just the building of the building. Right, we, we actually have a very active program with Oregon State University and our contractors are actively employing uh, students as interns during the summer. So we actually um, give the uh, um, intern 
who has a successful internship with our members, $1,000 when they go back to school for, to help pay their tuition. Uh, we have a fund uh, through the foundation at Oregon State University that this year we presented to them uh, with a check for $20,000. Our normal is 10,000. So we have nearly $200,000 in our foundation to assist those students to become uh, involved in the electrical industry. You know, it's a overall AGC has a strong position in that uh, at Oregon State University. Right. We, we are there not to take away from them, but just to give them the opportunity that the electrical field is also available. As you have had to deal with all of the different changes this past year with the pandemic, um, have your members been receptive to some of the kinds of changes that they were required to make on the job? And do you see some of the things that you put into place being uh, good enough or successful enough or important enough that they will continue going forward? Not just because they have to, but because it's good business to do it a certain way. The state of Oregon never shut down with COVID, um, but it did make running a, a, a job completely different than before. Now, in, in our industry, we have an electrical safety director that's affiliated, paid for by the chapter, affiliated with our training center. And they meet uh, monthly. As a matter of fact, during COVID, they were meeting twice a month with the other safety directors to make sure that we were aligning ourselves with the emergency rules that the governor put into place, with all the general contractors putting restrictions on job sites. So I do believe that we even are safer than we were before, uh, but it has kind of challenged our members on doing business differently. We are looking at uh, contact tracing on job sites. You know, Intel's our largest employer in the state in our largest um, customer as far as the industry is concerned. And they're going through a big growth spurt right now requiring all kinds of uh, personal protective equipment, masks, even from the parking lot going into the job site. So we, our contractors are learning as we move forward, but I think the safety precautions that we have in place are going to live into the future with our industry. Your Oregon Columbia chapter has been very involved, both with NECA, but certainly with Electri International. You have been active in a lot of different ways and absolutely with thanks financially. What of Electri's accomplishments have been the most valuable in your estimation for your members? And then the second part of the question is, what advice would you give to Electri going forward about what you would like to see them accomplishing over the next five years or so? Well, I, I think the Electri uh, studies that have been put in place and turned into educational opportunities have been the best advancement for our members to participate in. Because as I said, education is the strongest point of our association moving forward. Moving forward, what I really think is going to be important is how can we be uh, more successful by emerging technology, not just in the office with BIM and all the other parts of the industry that are changing, but more importantly, how do we better manage our jobs with technology, with emerging um, education that comes along with it as well? There are going to be tremendous opportunities in the future. We're already embracing uh, our contractors and working with prefabrication, 
what's what so the question is so what's the next best thing that's going to happen on the job site and do you see electric being sufficiently prepared to look at that and to help you figure that out yeah i think so i we feel pretty strongly about the uh proposals that come through from the various vendors that we utilize but i think the delivery to the members is even more important how do we get that information to our members and make it, uh, and then the other thing is, you know, how do we get them to absorb it? You know, that's the important part. We, uh, Electri over the years has done tremendous amount of work, but how do we get our members to absorb the important part of that? How do you do it with your chapter members? Well, we do, uh, we, we make sure that the video casts have an update on Electri, that we make sure that we provide the newest uh, educational seminars. I think for the past few years, and proudly so, our chapter has been one of the leaders in putting on educational courses through NECA to our members. And, and that is a, a great resource for our members to learn from. You know, research, science, education is really, really important when you get down to um, being factual about what has to happen to move forward. What advice would you give other chapter managers who in their own mind have an interest in having the kind of longevity in their position that you've achieved? Is that a good thing or is it something you'd say, oh, I'll never do that again? <laughs> I think you always learn from the things that you made a mistake on. And there's nothing wrong with trying to, to make, uh, uh, you know, a new idea work for you. I mean, we just got through, I'm the president of a large charity here in town. Uh, we just had our 30th anniversary. We just broke $7 million over that 30 years. We had an opportunity to not do our charitable event this year. And, and it's easy to say, no, we're not going to, because you don't commit. When you say yes, you have to come up with new ideas on how you're going to do what you used to do easily. And so we put uh, our auction online, We and it's a large golf tournament as well, over 400 golfers. And we, get, we just came up with another scenario on how to do it. So we typically would raise 300, 350,000 a year and be, by committing to say yes and changing the alternative, we raised almost 200,000. Even though we didn't gather with 400 golfers or 400 people at our dinner auction, we still move forward. And that's one of the things I think that's important is the culture. Uh, if I were to say something to a new chapter manager, you really need to do your research. What is the history of your chapter? How do they operate? Don't go into a scenario thinking you're now going to be the leader to do something different. You really need to get engaged and find out what, what the culture, how does it operate, and, and then move forward gradually. Well, Tim, I've run through all of the different questions that Josh and I had put together in advance, and now it's your turn. You can say to me, Carolyn, I really thought you were going to ask me about X, and you get to fill in the blank. Whatever you'd like, as long as it's nice. Well, I think I try to be nice all the time. That's what I guess one of the things that I would anticipate again, it was more questions. So where where does the leadership role go as far as across the board of all your responsibilities? And I'd say obviously labor relations has been big, education's big. I think in today's economy and in today's scenario that we're dealing with. Being a leader on trust funds is really, really important. 
I think as a chapter executive, you need to do your research and education and be ready, sometimes to even challenge the professionals. I've been in a, a scenario uh, of, of leadership on our health and welfare trust and our defined benefit trust, our apprenticeship, and people come and go. I mean, luckily I've had some long time strong contractors, but on the IBW side, they switch every time there's another business manager, they change out all the trustees. You have to know, I think importantly, your role because they look to you for institutional knowledge. And, they, and even our contractors, their number one priority is to be an entrepreneur. They're not there to be a trustee 100%. You have to have the answers for them. You have to be able to be engaged and move forward. And they're always looking to somebody uh, to kind of lead the, with example. Don't be afraid to be the voice. You need to be the voice on trust funds as well, uh, moving forward so that you re really push the kind of envelope. We just finished. I have been trying to do this for 10 years is to have a goal and a plan on funding our defined benefit plan. And for the first time, we just signed a five-year agreement on what the contributions will be leading forward for the next five years so that we have a pathway to get 100% funded and to drop that withdrawal liability. Well, Tim, I'm sure our audience will agree that not only are you a good communicator, but you are a visionary for your chapter and you have seen them through both their ups and downs and you are constantly driving and moving them forward and upward. And obviously that's a really good thing for them and for Nika and certainly for Electric International as well. So I thank you for your time. For our audience sake, just so you know, we have been videotaping this right before Thanksgiving. So Tim, right. happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and have a wonderful holiday and stay safe and stay healthy. And we all look forward to seeing you again soon. <laughs> oh, it'd be we nice. don't have to Zoom at one another across the country. Right. Bye -bye. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You're more than welcome. Take care. Thanks.